The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review the 2-2 draw versus San Jose. We're going to preview the upcoming Minnesota United match, and then we'll cover a few other bits of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And while tonight I am in a beautiful Marriott in downtown Dallas with, like, the mic attached to a, a desk, like, I had the chance this weekend to just get out in the community. I went to the Kite Festival on Sunday and saw, like, people all over the place in Austin FC garb. And it's just, like, it's every time I see the crest, like, it makes me happy and excited and joyful. And I want to talk to that person and I realized I don't know that person as much as I used to back in the good old days. Like, has that been your experience too? Yeah, I mean, I went out to the uh, the Los Ferries watch party at Austin Beer Works, and I mean, I knew a lot of people there. But even within the Morga, within the Morga, there's a ton of people out that I don't know, which is amazing. It's great. I, I counted at the end of the night they played a song. And I was just trying to count how many musicians. And I think there were 22, 23 musicians, not counting capos or people waving flags, but like people playing instruments. There were over 20 at the watch party. And I I knew maybe half of them, which is, it's very cool to see how much, how much all of that has grown. Even, so these are people who like are way into it, dedicate a ton of their time to it. And I don't know their name. And so, yeah, just, I think that's, that shows the the growth and just like how many people have like been drawn into into it and have become a part of the community. So we briefly saw each other on Saturday. I was uh, dro- <laughs> drove through in a tuxedo on the way to an event to drop off koozies, drop off Moon Tower soccer koozies for the for the Patreon. So how was the watch party overall? I assume it was really fun for like an hour or so and then maybe slightly depressing after that like how was the what was the scene like yeah so the first 20 minutes the sun was still shining on the projector screen and so i watched the first 20 minutes on my phone with a 15 second delay (laughs) and so i could hear adrian healy announce what went on and then i got to know what was coming up and could look for it on my my phone screen um but like energy was great. Lots of people out there had a lot of fun. They released the uh, the Los Verdes Austin Beer Works collaboration beer called Macalamist, which has a really cool can designed by Mr. Joel Corral. And uh, yeah, the, the energy was great. Even after the game, like people hung out and talked for a while. We still had a good time. But yeah, it definitely shifted in about the 60th minute or whenever things went south for Austin there. Yeah, and, and I think like there was that party. I think uh, Austin Anthem had a watch party. I think there was a big watch party to pitch. Like that's a, another thing about the growth is, you know, it's not just one group of people getting together. I saw this picture from a huge watch party, not huge, but like a good sized watch party in Waco for the match. Really? Like, there's yeah, there's like excitement all around, which is just it's really cool. And we're really happy to to be a part of this and just sort of see the growth of this this club and what it means to Austin, Texas. I going back just for a second, I really wish somebody would have taken a picture of you and I just standing out in the parking lot, <laughs> you leaning against your, your bright blue car, wearing a green suit jacket. <laughs> like, a, were, did you, what kind, did you have a tie on? And a bow tie on. A bow tie on. That I, I tied, I tied for myself at the, I was really stressing out because I have not had a lot of reasons <laughs> to wear a bow tie in the last pandemic years, but I got it done. It was fun. And then I was like, uh, during the event, I was watching the mat. I was watching the ticker on my phone, like sitting close to the mayor and giving the mayor some updates on like how the game was going. So we were all <laughs> interested in that, despite what was happening in the ballroom. But you were dressed like that, handing me a bag of uh, Moon Tower soccer koozies and crackers. And yes, that's right. Yeah, what's the uh, was it Texas Sourdough Company? Is that what it's uh, called? The 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 Sourdough Project. The Sourdough Project crackers. Yes, and yeah, Moon Tower they, soccer they hooked us up with some with some free Verde and Black crackers that they made. Just they're they're fans of the show and said that they listen to the show while they're baking, and so they wanted to give us some. So if y'all, I think they they do a lot of the farmers markets. So if you see the Sourdough Project at any of the farmers markets, uh, go go talk to them and uh, give them a listo verde for us. All right, let's jump into covering this game. So 2-2 draw in San Jose. Austin FC gave up 
a 2-0 lead to end in a draw that felt a little bit more like a loss, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one upside of my Saturday night was by the time I went and watched the game on Sunday, I knew how the ending was going to go. So I wasn't as disappointed, but I cannot imagine keeping up with that in real time. But yeah, it felt like lost points for many reasons. One, obviously having the 2-0 lead, but you know, just like blowing that against San Jose. Like it's different if that happens against Seattle or against LAFC or somebody, but like that's, you know, against San Jose is the kind of match that maybe makes you question how much better we really are this year. Yeah, so that's kind of a thing I wanted to to talk about is the expectations part. Like I think last year I ended games a lot being disappointed, but kind of like disappointed in who the team actually was. And this year it feels a bit more like I'm disappointed because I know how good you actually are. Yeah, we could be. Yeah, I mean, so the positive side of that is I'm not going to get this exactly right, but what it's like the first time since June of last year that we've scored points on the road. Yeah. And the um, first time we scored multiple goals on the road in a long time. So I kind of think this might be wrong as well, but I kind of think our last win on the road was a game that I was at in early May in Minnesota. I believe I believe that's right. I think it's the last win. And then I think we picked up like a point the next month. And I don't think we, we picked up any points on the road since. Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess if there's any silver lining that that's one of them, we got, yeah, the draw and, and multiple goals on the road. Uh, but yeah, I, I think, do you think that the, like the expectations have changed around the team though? And do you think that will last? Like if we get three more disappointing results like this in the next month, do the expectations shift or like, okay, maybe that first month was an anomaly and this is who we really are. Or will it still feel like it's disappointing because we know that they're actually pretty good and they're just not performing that way. I feel like I know that they're better, that we are better than we were last year. I feel like that's, that's fundamentally shifted unless, you know, we run into, we're deeper than we were last year, but if we run into the same kind of injury situations, because you know, for this match, Johan Romagna, who hasn't played, what, since the first match, is like the first person to show up on an injury report. You know, so like we have more depth. Everybody's healthy. Like I feel like our, we should expect to be better this season, and that's why I'm, That's why a game, that's why the result in San Jose was as disappointing as it was, I think. And I feel like the wolf out people will come back if these bad results continue. Like I think everybody thinks the team is better than it was. And given yeah. where we are, like we sh- we should get better results. If we're not getting better results, then there's like something wrong with the with the coaching. I think is the only way that a lot of people will look at it. Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll get into some some wolf out adjacent topics a little later in the timeline oh, good. here. But okay. <laughs> um, but let's jump into some of the key moments of the game. So uh, Austin jumped out looking pretty strong. Seemed to be controlling the game really for the first. Um, 10 or 15 minutes. The first goal came in the 11th minute. Uh, the San Jose center backs were a little bit disorganized, mostly by design because uh, Beeson, one of the center backs, followed Diego, I think, like 40 yards up the field and was covering, like marking Diego at the midway line as Jackson Yule was trying to cover two people. Francisco Calvo was just marking nobody. <laughs> just like tracking the the offside line, essentially. Julio Cascante recognizes it. Maxi Ruti recognizes it. Ruti makes a run and puts his hand up and calls for it. Like, there's space here. Give it to me. Cascante sees him, plays a really nice ball over the top. Ruti jumps up and um, settles the ball like a really high foot settles the ball with the outside of his boot and does well to just like drop it down in front of him. The ball bounces. He has a look up, sees Marcinkowski off his line and just takes a crack at it and puts it over Marcinkowski's head. And it was like the, the Maxi Arucci goal that we talked about in the preseason when we signed this guy, like if you give him that moment, he's gonna, he's gonna shoot it. Like it's, it's what he was built to do, and that's what he's going to do. And we haven't really seen that Maxi this season yet, but that was a glimpse for Austin FC fans who who weren't familiar with his body of work. Yeah, that was the good Maxi, right? Is that he ripped it and he ripped it successfully 
into the net because I feel like there's been times when he's like launched that ball into the stands too. So it was it was a really good shot. I think last time I checked, it was up for MLS goal of the week. I think it was running second to a Seattle goal, but you know, it was everything that it should be. One of these things, like you wrote this in the notes and LaHood talked about this in the broadcast a lot. And he talked about like a half chance or a half volley. Like what does that mean? It's okay. Yeah. Um, so a full volley is directly out of the air. A half volley is off of a bounce off of the ground. And so that one would have been a half volley because he settles it and it bounces off the ground and then he hits it out of the air. Whereas a full volley is if it's in the air and he takes it out of the air without it ever touching the ground. All right. It's good. I would, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant. I was like, I thought we were like rating volleys in terms of quality. I'm like, I don't know what that was like half a volley <laughs> as opposed to a full one, but okay. I, it makes sense to me now. Yeah. So um, we looked pretty good. I would say up until maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, um, San Jose had a few dangerous moments, but I think Austin was still pretty much in control for a lot of the first half of the first half. Austin had a missed opportunity in the 25th minute. Um, Ethan Finley has played into a lot of space. I think it was Ring who who sees him and plays Finley into a ton of space up the right-hand side. Diego was also open on the other side, so Ring could have played it to either of them. Uh, may, probably Diego would have been the better bet with just space wise, but I don't, as far as like where ring was playing, I think it was easier for him to hit Finley. Uh, but Finley's pushing up the right side, plays in an early cross to Diego who is by himself at the top of the box, but Finley plays it a little bit behind him on the ground. And so Diego has the slowest run. Two defenders are able to recover and he probably could have still had a shot, but it would have been not a great one with two guys in the box right in front of him at that point. So he back heels it to Aruti. It's not really right in his path. And so he has to touch around a defender and just kind of take a hopeful, hopeful shot off balance at a bad angle. And so a, a moment that probably should have ended with Diego one-on-one -on -one with the keeper uh, because of, kind of a misplaced pass by Finley there, um, it ends up being nothing. But so, I feel like that's one of many missed opportunities that we'll, that we'll cover today. I remember that being kind of a slow ball too. Is that right? Like it was both a little bit behind him and not very forceful. Is that? I think he hit it with decent weight. Um, but it's like, you know, you hit it on the ground running like that, it's going to curve a little bit. And so if he'd hit it like, harder maybe it wouldn't have curved so much or would have gotten there a little a little sooner but like i think the weight was okay it was just behind him and so yeah he either need to like put it in the air a little bit so it didn't spin so much on the ground or um or hit it he could have hit a little harder i think that would have helped but if he'd have hit it with the same weight and just a better direction it would have been fine well then there's a minnesota chance not long after that right there was one where Stuver kind of goes down and both Ring and Gabrielson come in and bail him out a little bit, if I remember yeah, there, correctly on that one. San Jose had a few chances. I think that might be one that uh, Stuver was like sitting on the ground when he catches yes. it. <laughs> yeah, that was that one. Yeah, and at first thought, because I think like Alex Ring, we, we'll get into this maybe, but like Alex Ring, I feel like had a very, like he had a lot of moments. And like this, the, the moment on the, that he covered for Stuvers, really, like he was either really good or really bad. There was no middle ground for Alex Ring yeah. in this match. And we go into it I'll, later. I just wanted to give him credit for this one good moment before we maybe go into other ones. I was going to say, I think there's some bad ones that people will remember more. Um, but yeah, in fairness, I think he had some pretty good moments as well, including that that ball that played through Finley earlier. And he has he has a couple of those in the in this game that could have been really dangerous uh, moments that didn't turn into anything. Another missed opportunity comes in the 40th minute. Uh, Alex Ring, again, plays a really nice cross from the top of the box to Finley, who had, was on the far side, snuck in behind the right back, Paul Marie, uh, at the back post. It bounces in the six-yard box. Uh, Finley is about two yards out from goal, coming in from an angle, so it's not right in the middle of the goal, but it bounces once, and Finley if he gets any good contact on it, it goes in the back of the net. Like it just does. And he just mis misjudges it and puts it over the, puts it over the crossbar from 
point blank range. So that's the second uh, second major missed opportunity. I didn't realize this. Finley is involved in both of them, probably at fault for both of those. But yeah, that it could have easily been 2-0 by the 40th minute there. Or sorry, yeah, probably 3-0 by the 40th minute. But yeah, or, but at least 2-0, right? If you think, if these are both like half, I don't know what the X goals were on these, but if you think these are both half opportunities, like you should be able to convert one or the other. And then it's a, I mean, it's a whole different game with a 2-0 lead in the first half. Yeah, so I, the the Diego chance, because there wasn't a shot, it doesn't get an expected oh, goals true. rating. Yep. So Uruti's final shot got an expected goals rating of like I don't know. It's probably not very 10, good at all, 10% right? Yeah. Or something. The one he scored, by the way, was also like nine percent chance. <laughs> um, but I think the the Finley one was high. I don't remember what. It, oh, actually I actually have it right here. Um. The Finley miss was 47% on the MLS expected goals model. So, uh, yeah, pretty bad miss there. The last poor miss of the half, and it's actually the final play of the half, Alex Ring pounces on a poor back pass. So somebody was, like, trying to play it back to the keeper, and it doesn't hit it hard enough, or is trying to play a defender and hits it too hard. I'm not sure which, but Ring pounces on it, ends up one-on-one with Marcinkowski running up the right side. He has a decent angle that if he just bangs it far post, the space is there. So he doesn't have to like put it on a like on a postage stamp. Like if he just hits it with decent accuracy far post, the angle's there for him to beat Marcinkowski. And instead he goes for the finesse shot and tries to like chip him and just hits it over the top of the goal. So I mean certain players, sure, maybe go for the chip, but Alex Ring, just smash it, man. <laughs> that is not his game, is it? You don't think about the delightful lob goal when you're thinking about Alex Ring's opportunities. Yeah, and so that one was a uh, 30% chance on the expected goals model. So just in the first half there, we're pushing like 1.4 total expected goals, and we had one. Off of a ten percent chance, <laughs> well, of the worst, the worst chance of the half. Um, yeah, so felt a, yeah. San Jose had some chances there, so going into half, like felt a little bit lucky and also disappointed to go into the half one nil because it could have been three pretty easily, and but it also could have been one one pretty easily, and so to go in. Like it felt like somewhat of a consolation that San Jose just didn't score. But um, I was kind of hoping that Austin would come out and make some tweaks, be a little bit more organized and control the game again like they were very early in the game. I think it happened for a little bit early in the second half, but it didn't seem like they were ever as in control as they were at the very beginning. So um, Austin's second goal comes in the 52nd minute. Sebastian Juicy uh, finishes a penalty, but the penalty comes from uh, a transition moment. Danny Pereira finds himself one one on one with Jackson Yule running up the left side. The I what I liked about this um, what is there a PayPal Park? Is that what the stadium's called? Um, yes. There's generally not a ton of people there. And so, and, the, well, and, and if the ones that are there are all in like the world's largest outdoor bar or whatever yeah. it is, like they're not in the seats, <laughs> but they had some like pretty good, like feel level mics that you could hear Josh Wolf on pretty clearly at certain points in the game. And this is one of the moments where it came through loud and clear on the broadcast. But Danny was 1v1 with Yule, not a soul behind him. And so Danny's kind of like approaching him, and you hear Wolf yell, beat him, beat him, beat him. And Danny listens, and he takes push takes a touch, pushes the ball past Yule, and they're just off to the races. And so it's a foot race, and Danny gets around him a bit, but he's he's carrying the ball, and so Yule is able to catch up. It comes to a head in the box where they're shoulder to shoulder, and uh, Yule takes down Danny Pereira, and they call the penalty. I I think it's fair to say that the penalty was a little bit soft, but I also think it's fair. Like I don't. I, I think if there's if he just like holds his body a little differently, maybe doesn't put as many like his arm onto Danny as much, 
or even if it's just a different official on the day that I could see that not getting called. But I think by the letter of the law, that's a penalty. Yeah. But how do you see it? Oh, I saw it, I saw it the exact same way. And this I felt like when it went to VAR, I was like, this is this is not this is not the kind of thing where we're gonna find a clear and obvious error. Like once it was yeah, called no on the way. field. I, I feel like that would have been true either way. Like if it wasn't called on the field, I don't know that you like review that and reverse it. Like it was, you yeah. know, it was even enough. But when it was called on the field, and with your point when it's by the letter of the law, like I feel like that's a that's a you should feel good about that about that penalty, you know, that that it was it truly was one and it wasn't one that was gonna be overturned. Yeah, so um, Drew C steps up to finish it, smashes it into. I it may have hit like the top of the net before it hit the back of the net, which is pretty impressive. And he hit it hard too. So I I always feel pretty good about Drew C stepping up to take a penalty, um, for sure. And like I feel like Markin, Marcinkowski didn't like guess wrong, right? Wasn't he going that way? He did. No, like, he he went the other way. Oh, did so he go the other I way? Think, okay. I think Drew C maybe gave him the eyes, or he was just guessing. But he went the opposite way. But Drew C smashed it, and so even if he had guessed that way, I don't know that it he was matter. touching it. Um, in the fifty fifth minute, Stuver has uh, maybe his moment of the match. Francisco Calvo gets a header from a recycled corner. So Stuver reacts pretty, it's it's not far from him. He reacts well just to get a hand on it, deflects it up onto the crossbar. It bounces down onto the goal line. Uh, Stuver is at this point on his back inside the goal and is able to kind of sit up and kick the ball. But because of the angle that he's coming at, he kind of traps the ball onto the, the goal post and it just kind of like squirts out between his his foot and the goalpost. Uh, Ruben is there and is able to kind of body it down, turn and clear it. But that was a very nervy moment. And for a bit, like from the original angle, it looked like the ball was in the goal. But as they, I think they ended up reviewing it and quickly saying like, no way, that didn't cross the line. And then when they show a different angle, it very clearly does not get anywhere close to crossing the line. But in the initial angle, I was not so sure. Yeah, I was yeah I was the same way on the first angle. I thought it was it. It did. I mean, what a play! Oh, so we didn't talk about this. What did you think about the great keeper kit? Oh, this, I this, think this it's the first cool. time we've seen those. It was pretty cool. And it had like a, I feel like the design or the pattern or whatever in that. Um, it's it like looks, a, looks like different and more unique than than it, I don't know. It was like looks better than the other ones for like some kind reason. of an inconsistent honeycomb pattern. Yeah, it was thing, cool, which I kind of dig. Yeah, and then in the first half. Um, the other thing I written down about him is like, man, he was like struggling with the sun a lot. And I guess when they switched ends, he was in a lot better shape. But that's one of the other reasons we were lucky that the first half turned out the way it did is because he was really fighting against it. Yeah, they, they, there was one angle very early on with him, like with his hand up over his eyes, trying to see what was going on downfield. And I was like, this is not a good, like, a <laughs> it's good, not a good scenario yeah. here. It made me nervous. Uh, I don't remember when this happened, but I'll mention it here while we're talking about Stuver. But there was a moment when he received a back pass in the box with an attacker like rushing at him. And it's a moment where normally like after some of the like PTSD of last season in moments like that, I think everybody was thinking like, boot it, boot yeah, it, just, just get it, it out, get yeah. it out. What does Stuver do? He just like calmly dinks like taps it behind his own leg and pushes up field past that past that attacker <laughs> and i think everyone's heart was just like racing at that point but he didn't look nervous he looked he looked cool as a cucumber doing it <laughs> but you were terrified right i was terrified when that happened i was terrified there's another minute that that made me really nervous i think this is later in the game but um a ball comes in from like the kind of the corner of the 18 yard box and it doesn't it misses the 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 upright like the uh the goalpost by maybe six inches but stuver just like puts his hands down and just lets it go he's like i know i know it's not going in <laughs> and then it ended up being really close but like he didn't look nervous he looked very confident it's like no I, I knew it was gonna miss it's like all right I, i'll take I'll take a confident Stuver as long as he keeps playing like that. Yeah, and this is going to be for him. I think he, what he had nine saves in this game. I feel like this. He's had a lot more save. He had a lot more saves in this match, and he's he did a lot more work than he's had to do all year long. Yeah, this one. which is not necessarily a good thing. But um, <laughs> right, if if he's going to have to face that many, I'd I'd rather him 
be on like he was. So uh, after that moment, I feel like Austin kind of lost control of the game and never really gained it back. Like those couple of moments of chaos sent it into a very San Jose direction and just never came back for him. So we saw the first substitution in the 61st minute. It was uh, Felipe was warming up for several minutes and the ball never went out. And I was just like, like, who are they going to take out for him? Like, who are they bringing off? And they finally make the sub and it's Maxi Uruti uh, comes off in the moment. I was a little bit confused, but then I saw that they moved Jerusi up top. And so I kind of went through a, a a roller coaster of emotions with this substitution during the game. I was okay with it because the, what they were doing with Maxi and it was working whenever in the moments where we had the ball, which we didn't keep the ball for very many long stints at a time, but Maxi was dropping in really deep, which generally he's on like hanging on the back shoulders of center backs, stretching that line. And that's what he's good at. But because of the way San Jose defends, they'll do that man marking system. So they know that if Maxi drops in, instead of stretching the line, a center back's going to follow him. And so pretty often Maxi would drop in. And at the same time, a winger or one of the center backs would make a run down the middle where he was vacating that space. And so I really liked what they were doing with that. And so by having Drusi do that instead of Maxi, I'm I'm thinking like you don't, you're not losing a ton there because you're not asking Drusi to make those line stretching runs. He's dropping in and playing not so far off what his normal position is. And then later on, when I watched some of the the highlights and watched the first half. I was a little bit like mad about the substitution. It was like, Aruti's been one of the best players on the field. It's been very good. Like, I don't know what I think about him being the first guy to come off. Then on my rewatch, I got to the second half and realized for about eight to 10 minutes before Aruti comes off, he is walking and just like completely spent. And so I like kind of came full circle on it and I'm okay with the, the fact that Uruti was the one who came off and they were going to try to put some more teeth into the midfield and have Driussi who will still do that work and track back because Uruti was essentially not doing it anymore. He was doing a lot of tracking back in the first half and he just essentially wasn't doing it anymore. And we were under a lot of pressure and couldn't really afford to not have someone doing that work anymore. So Josh Wolf said that in the post game and then I feel like Maxi disagree with that did you see his comments like he was just wrong yeah. right he said like oh i wasn't tired or i wasn't gassed or whatever but like from watching him play he's wrong he was I'm tired. Not, okay i'm like i didn't think i i don't think i agree with him so i was wondering what you thought about that yeah like and he had, he had just made like he made one run where he tracked back defensively and then we tried to launch a counter where he made a really long run upfield and so like he probably could have recovered after standing around for a few plays, but like we couldn't afford a few plays. And so, yeah, I, as far as like, I think maybe there's some people who would argue like not putting on another striker was a defensive move. I don't really see it that way. You're, you're bringing on someone who plays 10 and then putting on like moving juicy upfield and so it's not like we went super defensive as far as like the formation or the personnel. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a, a huge problem with it after going back and rewatching. So in the moment, would you have, this is easy with hindsight, but would you have brought Musa Jite in there? I don't know. So the only thing that I, I can think of as far as like why he would have been useful in that moment is because we were under a lot of pressure, having a big body like Jite who does a good job pulling a ball down out of the air and just like sticking it to it and like holding off a defender while guys can come to him, that could have been useful in that situation. Um, but as far as like tracking back and defending and making like, I think movement and like knowing where to move and how to move has been an issue for Jite. And against a team like San Jose, that's like, that's the game. Like you need to disorganize them with that man marking system. So um, I think there's several reasons why GTA wasn't the right answer to bring on, but 
he could have been very useful in those moments when we're under a lot of pressure to play a long ball, let him chest it down, hold it up and let us get numbers into the attack so we can kind of control the game a little bit more. I think that's a, a valid argument to to bring him on. And then I guess the other criticism I saw was that um, people felt like uh was like really disconnected from the attack when he, when he was moved and he was in. But I'm wondering if that was a, what Austin did or what San Jose did in terms of substitution as far as the, as far as the outcomes out of that. Yeah. So, and that 61st minute when they brought, we brought Felipe in, we made a, a formation change. So generally we defend, we attack in like a four, three, three, and we defend in a four, four, two. Whenever Felipe came on, we shifted to like a four, one, four, one with ring being that, that deepest one. And then a line of four in those two in the middle, it was Danny and Felipe and like the central midfield positions and then drew C up top. And so it just gave us kind of like one extra number behind to kind of track guys. But I was looking at what San Jose's formation looked like because they brought off a center back and brought on Usini Buddha, who is like the top attacking prospect in the super draft this year. And they went to, I don't know what you would call it, but a lot of the times it ended up looking like a three, one, six. And they had literally like a line of six guys across. Just, yeah. Across the front line. line. Yeah. And so they were going like throwing everything they had at us. And that's a risk, right? Because you open yourself up at the back, but that's a risk that San Jose is willing to take over and over and over. And so I think that going to the next substitutions, it was Rodney Redis and Jared Stroud for uh, Diego and Ethan Finley. And so again, like what are your, do you have thoughts on, on that sub? Or have you seen any thoughts that like, what, what, did, what well, do you think the general, general I mean, opinion you know, Rod, is? Roddy, Roddy Redis generates a lot of strong opinions that I happen to share a lot of. I mean, I think, you know, we're bringing wingers on for wingers. Like, I don't have any problem, like, positionally with that. And I don't know who our other winger options are other than, um, than Roddy John and Gallagher. Stroud. Yeah, but uh, he's John a, Gallagher but he's, is a full-time fullback he's a, he's at, a this fullback po- at this now, point yeah. now. And he will come so, in later, and I feel like he will play. He played pretty good at fullback later on. I mean, I saw these numbers. Like, we're really, really bad when Roddy's on the field. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or not, but... <laughs> I don't know what it's like. We're like minus two goals per game, I think now, when we have Jeez. Rodney. Like if you if you stretch it out over like a full ninety minutes. Yeah. So, in the moment, I was I watched these subs and I was like, I'm okay. Diego looked gassed as well, so I was I was right. I'm generally not okay with taking Diego off the field. Uh, I was in this moment, and like Wolf, you you watch Wolf kind of meeting. Diego and and Ethan on the sidelines they come off there was no disappointment there it was like good shift like you did a great job you gave it all you had you're done for the day and at two nil up like that's at the end of the season that was kind of Jared Stroud's role right is we're up in a game you put Jared Stroud on to just annoy a back line as they're trying to to pass out of the back and Rodney can do that same thing. He's he's a willing runner, works really hard in defense for for all his faults. He does that. Like he works really hard in that part of the game. And so I'm thinking like, yeah, I kind of like this this change here cuz also if they're if San Jose's throwing that many forward to have two guys that are actually pretty speedy um out on the break is also not a bad thing to have. The thing is is we never controlled the ball long enough to even look at that opportunity and that, so yeah you're right that's really what it comes down to like it's just we just lost the everything like at that after that goal and that point of the second half and i don't like i don't know what the shot numbers were but i feel like what did we get like two shots in the whole second half or something two shots in the second half one of them was a penalty so uh felipe had a chance a really nice little combination actually diego plays a ball into uh, into the box Felipe's like running into the box and lets it go like dummies it through 
and it finds Drusi. Drusi plays him through. So it kind of like a one, two, but he doesn't actually touch it. It's just a dummy. And uh, Felipe takes a shot. He's a little bit off balance, but it, it goes off the post. That's in the 67th minute. That's the last shot of the half. So we had a penalty and that little half chance there. And that's it. No more shots for the whole the whole second half. But yeah, I think just we couldn't get it out of our own half. And it wasn't. And this this was true before any of those subs. Before the Felipe sub, we were pinned back. Since the 50 some odd 56 minute or so, we were pinned back in our own half. This was not a, a choice made. It wasn't like Wolf told them to sit back. It wasn't like the players decided to sit back. San Jose decided that we were going to sit back. And we didn't do anything to to change that. I think talking about Juicy being disconnected, maybe if he had been a little bit deeper, he could have played us out of some of those tight spots. But like generally you trust Danny and Ring are not bad at doing those things either. So you would generally trust them to do the same thing. And they just, we we weren't getting those chances and weren't able to ever get out of that half. So um I think in hindsight, it's easy to say like, or easy to think like, okay, yeah, whenever we're trying to win a game, having Stroud and Reddas on the wing and no striker on the field is not ideal, but that all happened when we were 2-0 up and we're 2-0 up. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with these decisions. Yeah, so let's talk about how it went very, very badly over, what, like three minutes of, of match time? Yeah, so uh, in the 70th minute, San Jose is given a penalty. So there's an in-swinging cross played uh, from the right-hand side to the far post. Uh, Usini Buda is making a run towards that far post. Lima is tracking him and maybe misjudges the the swing of the ball. Um, Stuver starts to come out. I think maybe there is a little bit of confusion with Stuver and Lima because Stuver started to come out and then saw Lima coming and took a step back. But I think Lima didn't go all in for the ball because he initially saw Stuver come out a little bit. Um, and so like has to adjust his angle at the last minute, ends up kind of bodying Buddha. Um, and they called a penalty. Uh, there was m- far more contact, like more, more of a collision in this one, but a lot of it was Buddha running into the back of Lima. I, th- I think this is still a penalty, but I think it's as on the line as ours was. And if it had this been a different ref on the day, I could see him giving zero penalties in this game. I cannot, I can't argue with that, but yeah, Lima did not make a very good plan. I, I didn't notice the confusion between Lima and Stuver, so maybe that's where I was just focused on Lima. I felt like he overall did not have a very good game. Like there was a lot of ball watching. There was this penalty. Like I feel like we've seen like w- that was one of the worst Nick Lima performances we've seen so far in this one. Did you? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he was. I don't know that anybody was particularly good, but that's fair. Being, that's fair. Yeah, I did notice that. So Austin, especially when we made that that change in the second half we're playing very narrow and we're essentially just giving those wings to San Jose. And I don't quite understand the logic there um, because they had a lot of numbers in, I guess maybe you're trying to, to control the middle and you'll say, okay, put in a cross, we'll head it out. But the crosses were looking dangerous and we're putting us under a lot of pressure. And so I don't quite understand the logic and just like letting Cade Cowell have it on the right wing over and over and over and letting, uh, he was on the left for a while as well, but just like letting them have those wing positions there. And you're playing into his strengths, right? Like Cade Cowell is really good at running fast with a ball. And when you give him that space, like he will create a lot of trouble doing that. Yeah. So I don't quite understand it there. I like, it is a tactic. I know that teams do that. Um, but in this game, it just seemed dangerous to me because they were putting in really good crosses and putting us under a lot of pressure using that same tactic over and over. Uh, so, yeah, they call the penalty. Uh, Ibobasi steps up, finishes the, the penalty. I think 
two minutes later, um, Cade Cal scores the equalizer. He it's a second ball from a corner. Cal gets a touch on it, and it kind of like one of those where it kind of gets stuck between his legs, and he's just like kind of stumbling, and the just kind of carries the ball half a foot within between his legs. Ring steps up to try to tackle him and is confused by this ball between the leg trick. There's five other guys standing around him and nobody else puts pressure on. They, I think they all kind of thought like Alex is there. He's going to tackle this guy and he doesn't and nobody does anything. And Cal is able to finish it in the box right there with nobody, nobody really putting any pressure on him. There were three different guys that threw their arms up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> at somebody else, like trying to claim somebody else's responsibility for it, which I really appreciated. But yeah, I think a lot, a lot of ball of them, watching. I think a lot of them threw their arms up in the air at Alex Ring for not making the tackle. <laughs> and then Alex Ring threw his arms up in the air at the other ones for <laughs> not like backing him up when he yeah. didn't make the tackle. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the sloppiest goals. That was a very 2021 goal, man. That's yeah, just that's what, what I, felt I was about, about to say. Yeah. Very 2021. Um, after that, I mean, there's a lot of back and forth, still a bit of a track meet, but uh, like I said, Austin never got another shot off. So didn't have a ton of hope for us pulling that one out. And yeah, I, I think one of the things I said last week is like for Austin to win this game, we need to control it and we can't play San Jose's game. And that is exactly what we ended up doing is playing San Jose's game. I think the, I hadn't looked at these stats, but possession. Do you, did you see what the possession stat was? I have not seen a possession stat this like. Austin finished. Yeah, with 30, so negative. Yeah, I've never 36%, seen Austin. 36%, yeah. which I would have to imagine that's the lowest possession percentage ever for Austin FC. Wouldn't I would you agree. Think? I would agree. Yeah, it has to be. And the some, other thing. Some of it by design. We were playing really direct, like trying to exploit their. Uh, devil-may-care attitude when it comes to throwing numbers forward. And we're able to not punish them because we didn't finish a lot of these chances, but get into really dangerous moments by playing direct, by getting in behind them. Um, we didn't finish those chances in the first half and then spent all of our legs. But uh, I think it was a decent idea. So I think some of the possession was by design, but in the last 40 minutes of the game, it was not by design. We just could not hold on to the ball anymore. Yeah, we got outshot 13 to 2 in the second <clears throat> half. We talked about the two for us, but like, yeah, San Jose, we were up seven. I think it was seven four. Seven or something to four, at, I think. At halftime. Half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you can't, you understand why we blew that lead when you see the way that second half turned out. Like, I don't have a good explanation for why. I mean, it's I mean, a combination yeah, I, of a lot of factors. It was a combination of like us being bad and San Jose being good and. I think it was the pressure. Um, we did not just we didn't handle the pressure, and that's San Jose when they have their back to the wall like that. They're just going to throw everything at you and hope it breaks good for them, and it did. And I think Austin wasn't ready for it, and wasn't um, just they weren't mentally prepared for it. And so, um, yeah, I, I think there's there are probably some, this is what I was going to say with like the wolf out crowd. I think talking about the substitutions, I don't I, like, I personally don't have a ton of problems with, with some of those changes. Yeah. Like maybe some of these guys you don't ever want to see on the field, but they're, they're who they're who we have on the team and who play those positions. And so that's what we have. Um, I think had the players on the field just executed and stood up to that pressure a little bit more, this is not, even a question. And so if Alex ring makes a tackle inside the box, if Ethan Finley finishes a chance inside the six yard box, like these things don't matter. And we win this game three, one or whatever. Yeah. Goals change games, Landon. I don't know if you know that. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard that anywhere, but just convert one more. I feel like that was like what happened in the first two matches when we played Cincinnati and Miami, this has to happen since is, we converted our opportunities and we just kind of poured it on and you know, just for whatever reason, when we've had the chance, we haven't fallen, we haven't followed through since then. And hopefully that's the thing that'll turn around again when we, when we get into April. Yeah. So speaking of opportunities, I think April presents a lot of opportunities. Uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back, 
we want to kind of dive into what April looks like and what we can hope to get out of it. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back with more Moon Tower Soccer. Austin's newest spot to enjoy food, fun, and football is now open. The Pitch, located next to Austin FC's training facility at 13,000 Harris Ridge Boulevard, has a little something for every fan. You can order from four different kitchens with unique cuisines, serving locally sourced food, as well as a selection of local beer and craft cocktails. Or just settle down in front of one of their 35 big screen TVs to watch our Austin FC when they're on the road. They're open 11 to 8, Tuesday through Saturday, and then also open for special events and watch parties for Austin FC games um, and other opportunities. So visit thepitchaustin.com for more details on their hours and availability. You can get a 10% discount by entering the word GOAL in the promo code field in the mobile ordering app on your next visit. We are doing another ticket giveaway and one that will come to fruition very soon for the game on April 10th, thanks to the good folks at Sage Wilson Property Group. The deadline to enter for that one is this Friday, April 8th, 8th at 5 p.m. The arbitrarily determined deadline for all these ticket giveaways. Let's make it, let's change it and make it 10 p.m. Friday, April 8th at 10 p.m. Friday, April 8th at 10 p.m. Landon will be standing <laughs> behind the Google form ready to shut it down. Uh, to enter, go to MoontowerSoccer.com and then click free ticket giveaway in the top navigation bar or click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Again, this is made possible by Sage Wilson Property Group. So if you or someone you know are in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And this is a good spot to talk about the Austin Chronicle Best of Austin Awards. Yes. Because FVF is a finalist in the best law firm category, so you all should be sure to go and vote for them. Um, and I believe also what La Mercade Austin is, vote, is a finalist in the... Uh, like best sports and entertainment category it's like random or wild card or something <laughs> and then austin fc's like a finalist for the best team which i didn't even know was a competition because i feel like there's one pro team in austin they should win <laughs> and then also um like soccer we'll shots beat out the, the austin gilgronies rugby yeah. team yeah beat out the rugby team and then soccer shots is up for best nonprofit. so if you want to align with austin fc vote for fef law austin fc la Margarita austin and soccer shots there you go. So you can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. All right, we are back. We're going to talk about Austin FC's April schedule, but first we're going to answer a couple of listener questions. These are both from Casey Gawler, Casey Gaylor. Sorry, Casey, I'm not sure if I'm saying your name right. Uh, but the first one is, I hate to think of any of our players moving, but which young Austin FC player do you think has the best chance at eventually transferring or playing in Europe, even if it's three to four years away? And then he suggests uh, Danny, Kippy, and Jean. So I think he kind of nailed it with two of his picks there. One of them I'm not so sure about. Do, do you have any clear winners in this this category? I have a clear winner if we have to pick one, and it's on his list. But I feel Which like Danny, yeah. I feel like you Danny, think Danny's the clear winner. Yeah, I think okay. I think Danny has to be the one that has the clearest opportunity to just the way he's developed from coming in, you know, and playing one year and the way he's become a you know a, a a much stronger player and with his youth, I can definitely see that he has the potential to be a guy who goes to Europe in some way and make becomes a successful player. Yeah, I mean, Danny and Jean would have been my top picks right off the bat. Um, I think maybe just because of the position he plays, like maybe it's easier for a fullback to find his way over instead of a, a central midfielder. Uh, also, Jean being from Europe, like maybe that makes it a little easier for him to go back over as opposed to Danny um, having never played over there before. Uh, but I, I think both of them could very easily in the next not even three or four years in the next, maybe like two years could start getting a lot of interest from, from European teams. Uh, Kippy is one that I'm not so sure about. Like right now, if I had to put money on it, I would say no. Um, but 
we've seen guys like uh, Aaron Long has gotten a lot of uh, attention from Europe. I'm sure like Walker Zimmerman, if he really wanted to, could go play in Europe somewhere. So there are guys who like from that same mold, like domestic college players that came into MLS and have done well enough to uh, garner European interest. Um, I don't know that Kippy's going to be at that level, but we like for him to be a huge success, we don't necessarily need him to be <laughs> like, you can be a really great MLS center back center back and not necessarily be getting a bunch of calls from Europe. So he could get there, but um, I think it's, he's got a longer road to get there than the other two guys. I, I think so too. And I think he fits into that. When we had Doyle on, he talked about him being like this sure thing, this, College player, successful, you know, center back, long career in MLS. He just seems like an MLS guy in the same way that Walker Zimmerman does. Yeah. And, but like the sure thing that Doyle was talking to is like he's going to have at minimum a decent MLS career. And so, like, the sure thing is not, oh, you're going to sell him for $10 million in five years. Like, that's not really the deal here, but that's not what you're looking for in that pick. You're looking for a guy who can play for your team for 10 years, maybe. And so, yeah, I, I, Kippy could get there, but we'll see. Well, and I think to steal from the next question, which I guess we could go into, like I think one, of, I think the guy in this question is another really um, high potential person for somebody who might end up in Europe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so the next question is: Do you think that Micah, and he's talking about Micah Burton from the academy team, uh, or any of the academy players, get a call up to the first team this summer? It seems like it could happen once we hit the dog days of summer if we make a decent Open Cup run and have more midweek games. Uh, I absolutely think we'll see some academy kids um, get some get some call ups this year. I'm not exactly sure what the rule is for the Open Cup. Um, like if those kids don't have homegrown contracts yet, what the like, rule is about them actually you, seeing the field in you the mean Open like, Cup? Yeah, like what do we have to do to get them on the field, or can they just? Are they just, right. do they get an exception? Are they just allowed to play in the open cup regardless of whether or not they're on a senior contract? Yeah. Either way, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, like even if it takes giving Burton or maybe some other kids a homegrown contract to get them on the field, that would not surprise me at all. I almost guarantee we'll see Owen Wolf in the open cup, uh, at least on the bench, if not getting minutes. Um, who has he has been playing with the with the U seventeen team, but I don't think he really counts at this point. But uh, yeah, I w- I wouldn't be surprised to see Micah get a homegrown contract this year and see some minutes. And then there's some other kids on the team who are also very very good. That um, again, I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of of scouting these youth prospects and kind of uh, projecting what kind of players they're going to be and offering them money to do that. But um, yeah, I. I think it's it's not a low percentage chance here. And we and we do appreciate that you don't claim to know that, unlike some <laughs> people on Twitter, even though you've actually seen them play a little bit. And we can just leave it at that. All right. Uh let's get into we've we've teased this a couple of times now, but April is seems to it seems to be a really good opportunity for Austin FC based on the opponents that we have lined up here. So We've already played one of these games, which is San Jose on the road. We have Minnesota coming up, which we'll do a preview for here in a, here in a little bit at home this coming weekend. After that, we have DC on the road. Then we have Vancouver at home, then Houston on the road. Uh, not to say that these are all shoe-in easy wins, but these are all very beatable teams. And so I heard Michael Hood and Adrian Healy talk about this on the pregame show uh, before the game the other day, but they were trying to say like, what's how many points should Austin FC get out of April? And I think, I think they kind of came to a consensus, a consensus of nine points. And I think I agree with that. Do you, do you think that's fair? Do you have a different number in mind? Is that number? That's number is including the one from San Jose. Well, so they did this before the San Jose game. Uh, I would still say nine is a decent return there out of a possible 15. I would say, I would say eight. I would have, I would have said eight or more either way. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm close right there. Uh, you get two home games that seem very winnable. 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, we should be able to. One would hope we could pick up both wins at home and pick up a point on both matches on the road. Yeah, with think? three of them being on the road, I think eight is probably a good line to set it at. If one of more of them were at home, then maybe nine becomes yeah. the number. But I think eight's fair, um, which would be like two wins and two draws and a loss, which is not too bad. Are you going um, to any of these? I, I'm i actually going to miss some of these. So I'll be at the Minnesota game at home. I'm going to be out of town, so I'm not I'm not going to D.C., but I'm going to be out of town anyway. Then I'll be out of town for the home game against Vancouver. I think I'll also be out of town for the Houston game. So I'm not going to go to – I'm only going to one of these games, including I'm, the home ones. I'm going to do Austin. I'm planning on going to Houston. I really want to go to D.C., and Jackson really wants to go to D.C., but it's also Easter weekend, and apparently the entire rest of our family is aligned against – the two of us going to DC, <laughs> including like my wife and my wife's mom and my mom. So that seems like a lot to overcome. So I'll probably only go to the uh, Minnesota match and then the Houston match. And the Houston match, I think it's going to be, I believe it's at 1230 on purpose because of the shenanigans from the last trip to Houston. So that's going to be uh, early in. It's going to be like an in and out kind of day. Yeah. See, I, I've talked to some of the supporters group folks and I think they're like pulling up buses to the gate getting off and as soon as the game over, get back on the bus and go to Austin. <laughs> yeah, which seems smart. So one of these home games, the Minnesota game, uh, that's this coming weekend. That I think that's one of the winnable games. So um, actually, before we jump into the preview, you want to give us our, our weekly history lesson, Jeremiah? Yeah, let's do that. So uh, Minnesota United, the clubs existed in some form for a long time, right? They were USL side before, I believe. Um, I think they played in maybe NASL or some other league before then as well. So I think it's been around for a while. Yeah, they've been around for a while. They started playing MLS in 2017. Um, They were really, really bad in 2017 and almost as bad in 2018. They're like an example of what we hope Austin not to be. We're really terrible in both of our first two seasons. Um, 2019, they moved to Allianz Field in St. Paul, which I think is like, it's a... You've been there. You went there last season, right? It's a really nice stadium. Like, it's one of my favorite stadiums that I've been to. Yeah, it is very nice. It's like a little bit out in the middle of nowhere, which is not ideal out in St. Paul, like next to a strip mall kind of thing. But it's also next to the Black Heart, which is one of the best soccer bars in the world, in my opinion. <laughs> it, it is. And like, there's so many of those. I don't know if any of them listen to this show, but like, I feel like I follow a lot of Minnesota United people and Black Heart people on Twitter. Um, and we, they should just know that we, we love them all. And it's, it is close to a bus stop. I mean, a train stop. Like we took it a train. Is, that's true. We took a train from Minneapolis out there when I went to that match, but it's really nice. About the same size. Uh, they have the exact opposite like stadium construction as us. So there's like a wrap around the whole outside of the stadium because that stadium is designed to keep wind out because it's very cold in St. Paul most of the year. Whereas Austin has those giant open corners to sort of let wind in. And, uh, you know, and they have the Wonder Wall, which is the supporter section that they're really known for, which is a completely separate space from the rest of the stadium, which I thought was a little bit weird. Yeah. So whenever I went, it was still in like limited capacity days. And so we didn't get to see the stadium in all its glory. Um, so we got to see the stadium itself, but not all of the people in the stadium, which was a little bit disappointing. But uh, yeah, people there treated us really well. So if you, I think they're bringing a group. I'm not sure how many, but if you see Minnesota folks in town this weekend, buy them a beer, say hi, because they 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 were very nice to us when we were there last year. Yeah, they're just they're just good old Midwestern folks, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're super nice and super good. So in 2020, they ended the season on sort of a hot run, made the uh, semifinals, and they had I think that that was the one where they had like the big lead on Seattle and Seattle came from behind like down 2-0 like the 70th minute to lose in the Western Conference Finals. People expected a lot out of them. Um, they ended up finishing fifth in the West in 2021 and lost in the first round of the playoffs. So I think there's, needless to say, that was a little bit disappointing for them uh, ending last year. And then there were high hopes coming into this season, which have not necessarily um, lived up to fruition. Yeah, so they have the same record as Austin right now so on the same amount of points but they've looked a little less convincing than austin has in getting those results 
And so for being on as many points as they have, I think most people have been pretty disappointed with their performance so far. Uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, their superstar number 10, has looked mortal this year. Like he's been a pretty average player so far. And so like generally they they rode on his back the last couple of years and he just isn't really pulling that weight this year. Um, I one, one thing that they do have going for them is Dane St. Clair, their goalkeeper, has been really hot lately. And so that's something that Austin is going to need to keep in mind. Like if you get a chance, you need to finish it because St. Clair might not let many chances by. So I think the keys for Austin are same but different as last week is that they we just need to play our game. Um, Minnesota's midfield is beatable. Uh, we can, if you can play through them, they're not the type that are necessarily going to like hunt you down. They're, it's not Diego Chara in the midfield there. They're not going to hunt you down and, and kill you if you get past them. And so if we can just control the game, control the ball, I think Austin will get good chances. And then once we get those chances, we need to finish them because they have a good goalkeeper back there. And so I, I think that's what Austin needs to do to to do well in this one. So I know we, we remember we talked about them last year. We talked about a few players to look out for. Um, Robin Lowe's one, Franco Procapani's one. And then I, I see their, their leading goal scorer this year is Luis Amaria with a grand total of two. Um, but what what we should what should we expect sort of from Minnesota United in an attack? Yeah, I mean, Amaria has kind of been um, because a lot of people didn't even pick him to be their starting striker. They have uh, Adrian Unu, who played a lot last year. I think a lot of people expected him to start there. Um, the what is their coach's name? Adrian something Heath. Adrian Heath. He's kind of getting like earned himself a reputation of like going through strikers quickly and like putting them in the doghouse pretty easily. I think he had like three guys he played through last season. And then this season who knew seems to maybe not be in good favor and Amaria has been good. So um, I'm not really sure what to expect as far as like what you're going to get out of that striker. Uh, the rest of their midfield is really solid. I have Will Trap, uh, your guy, Kevin, Kervin, Kervin, Ariaga, yeah. <laughs> and then Hassani Dotson has been playing some right back, but generally he is a midfielder is pretty solid. So pretty solid set of midfielders. Robin Lude has uh, been a really productive player the last few years. It's not any guys who are necessarily going to beat you by themselves except for Ray. if Reynoso's on he can beat you by himself but he just hasn't been that lately it's the other guys are just guys who are going to put in good shifts if they are connecting as a team they can all be dangerous but um that's that's where I think just Austin playing their game and and controlling the game and playing it on their terms can prevent that and if I think if you can get like put Minnesota on their heels, then I don't know that they're the type of team right now that is going to fight back from that. So score, score early, score often. And that, yes, that's what we look for. <laughs> There's one other piece of Austin FC news that we forgot to cover early on. And that's Cecilia Dominguez was not on the field or even in the country, maybe when we played her last. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so the we knew that he was in Paraguay from uh, Instagram posts. From Instagram. And he's, yeah, he's very good about keeping us updated on Instagram on what's going on. <laughs> and then Chris Bills uh, reported that he was in Paraguay getting his, uh, like going through the process of getting his green card. And it was like two days before the game and, and Chris got confirmed like, yeah, Cecilio's in Paraguay right now. He is not in Austin and so we're kind of waiting, like, is he going to get back in time to make the trip? Is he going to play this weekend? Come Saturday, Cecilio is still in Paraguay, but on the broadcast, Adrian Healy announced that, like, he's not here, but good news, he got his green card. So what this means is that, I mean, probably a lot of good things for Cecilio, and it's probably just going to make his life a lot easier existing in, in America at this moment. Um, but for the team it means we're going to have another international slot. Not immediately. The way that the rules work is after um, 
roster compliance deadline, which was in February, those international spots get locked in. So we had an extra one at that point in time. We do not get an extra one now because of Cecilio. That will essentially go into effect next season and we'll have an extra one at that point. So uh, nothing we can really do with it in in the short term, but in the long term, it means we have a lot more flexibility as to who we can bring into the team. Yeah, I know. I saw, the, I saw that question on, I think, in Twitter and other places about, like, what does it actually mean? So that was a pretty good summary of it. Um, and then one other random stat that I've forgotten about is, like, the Maxi Aruti goal was the first goal we scored from, was the second goal we've ever scored from a center a starting forward. striker. And then the first goal from outside the box that we scored this year. Right. And speaking of statistics, Maxi Ruti is also now the first player to score for all three Texas teams. Which is, that's really good. And that's also going to like steal my thunder on which striker article I was going to plug. Oh, <laughs> and the closing here. So maybe we should just like, let's, let's go ahead and go to the closing. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and then if you want to continue the conversation, come find us on Twitter. I'm at Elviahero87. Jeremiah's at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. Jeremiah just mentioned the striker, so go ahead and Yeah, yeah, there's a plug. great there's a great article from Chris Bills called Lone Star Striker and Odomaxi Aruti, the Texas gunslinger, which I would encourage everyone to check out. Uh we'd also encourage you to sign up for the Patreon. Jeremiah was handing me off um the Patreon rewards that were shipped to his house whenever he pulled up to Austin Beer Works in a green tuxedo. And so we now have all of those in hand. Did um, you get to hand any of those out? Uh, I think did I anybody got two. Did pick up? Okay, I two. gave them to Andrew Urban. I did see a couple of other people that I knew were Patreon members, but like across the way, and I never found them, and they never found me, so I didn't get to hand them out. But in any case, we have them all here, which means we can start shipping those out here in the, the not-so-distant future. Uh, but the koozies look great. The pins look great. If you want those, we are not going to be selling those anywhere else. So if you want any of those things, you're going to have to become a Patreon member. We're not going to sell them outside of that. And we got pretty limited quantities of both of them. So um, those are going to be limited run exclusively for Patreon members. All right, that is it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Muchas gracias. Bye bye.